All right, everyone, welcome to Safety Last. So today we have Alicia with us, and Alicia's a friend of mine. And I just found out a few weeks ago that she was actually born in the rural areas. And I thought, wait, I don't have many friends actually from those areas. Like a lot of my friends are in the metropolitan and it's actually something I would like to learn about. So I brought Alicia on today with us. Alicia, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name's Alicia. And as Stanley said, I grew up in rural New South Wales so it was a small town, well, a farm between Bingra and in Bingra and Delungra. So that's about seven and a half hours, I'd say, from Sydney. So I spent my 18 years of childhood there, but I have been since in Sydney for the last seven years now. And you mentioned the town names, which I can't repeat and I've actually forgotten. Are there Indigenous names? I don't believe so. I'd have to look that up for you. But yeah, I, I don't believe they are Indigenous names. Mm. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned that you were first born in the Hunter Valley. Is that correct? Yes, And then correct. from there you moved even more rural. So can I ask, why did that happen? And why did your parents opt to go even more rural? All right, so... I was originally born in Musselbrook in the Hannah Valley and mum and dad actually owned a, it was a beef cattle stud, which is a bit different to a farm. It's very small size and they do show cattle. So when you go to like, say the Sydney Easter Royal show and you watch, you know, the people leading around their, you know, big chunky cattle, you know, in their nice suits and whatnot, that's what they did. They, they bred. Wait, the cattle are in suits? No, the people are in suits leading oh, okay. the cattle around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have you ever seen bad. that? Like, I, I have. I, so I, I've seen, for whatever reason, when you said it, I thought you said the cows were in suits. And I'm like, well, I, I've never seen that. But I guess it is somewhat of an attraction. Like, I would stay and watch a cow to be led around in a suit. <laughs> that, that would be very, very entertaining. But unfortunately, no, the people wear the suits. <laughs> okay, that's too bad. Um, Easter show, get your stuff in order. Yeah, right. They need to make a category just for that. I'd go see it. But yeah, so it was very small time. I'm trying to remember the breed of cattle it was, but it was, it's just, a, oh, low lines. That was the name. They're mm-hmm. very, they're like Angus cattle. So they're, you know, big black cattle, but they're actually smaller. They're like miniature versions. Um, they're still bred for beef, but yeah, you breed them for the their quality, you know, like the, the marbling in the meat or the, you know, amount of meat on their bodies and their structure and I don't know, all, all these different things. Uh, I'm not an expert on it because I was only five years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, yeah, so they had a small-time uh, low-line stud in Musselbrook, but the mines were expanding and they wanted mum and dad's land for expansion of the mines. And originally they said no, you know, they've just started a family. My sister and I were only five years old. But they kept offering them more and more money until it was nearly triple the value of the property. And mum and dad went, yep, screw it. We, we'll take the money. We'll move. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they literally tripled the value of the property in a matter of like six years. And wow. with that, they went and bought a big time farm instead of a little hobby stud farm. They wanted to make it a full time business, a living. So, yeah, they, they bought 5,000 acres down near Binger and Delungra. And started up an Angus beef farm. Mm-hmm. So can I ask uh, two questions about that? So firstly, you brought up Angus beef and then you 
brought up low line i think firstly correct why i mean this is i guess somewhat of a random question but why do certain beef brands get a reputation so for example when i think of tasty beef i think of angus and even in japan whose name wagyu i think wagyu wagyu uh wagyu beef wagyu Wagyu, there you go. Thank you, Alicia, yeah. for embarrassing me again. <laughs> Part fifteen. Okay, so when when you think of like tasty beef, why do you think of those brands in particular? Like, what helps them solidify their reputation? And secondly, why did your parents opt to go more rural compared to coming to the metropolitan area? Okay, so with the beef and what becomes, I guess, mainstream or popular. It's just, it is all about taste, unfortunately, and about advertisement. So you city folk probably wouldn't have heard of this, but there's a yearly event called AdQuip. I think it's held in Dubbo from memory, but every year they do a farming, like everything to do a farming kind of show or yeah, event that you can attend. And they have every different type of beef cow there that you can imagine. And every setup has their own little barbecue stand. So you can try every different type of beef there is. So there's, you know, Angus, Wagyu, Santa Catrudas, Hereford. There's all these different types of meat. And when you do have that opportunity to taste them all, you can definitely see why there are more favorable meats, like breeds of cattle that are used for this beef. Angus definitely takes the gold star and Wagyu as well. Okay, so does that mean when you when you eat it compared to other beefs, you can taste the difference in texture and flavor? Like it's noticeable. Yeah, it's like each breed has a different like marbling percentage, you know. So it depends whether you like your meat fatty, whether you like it more meaty. Each different cow has kind of different cuts that are better. You know, like some cows might be better to have a rump steak and then some breeds are better at producing brisket. Yeah, so it just depends on your taste in meat as to what you prefer. But generally, Angus produce good meat all round. So they're the mm-hmm. best kind of beef cattle to breed. Okay. I could be okay. biased though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess so. You must have grown up eating a lot of Angus, I'm assuming. Yeah, each year we'd kill one beast and butcher it up and have that. And that would last us the whole year, one whole cow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, surprisingly. Wait, one whole cow would last you the whole year. Yeah, there's a lot wow. of meat. Okay. okay. <laughs> it takes a whole day to cut it up as well. Like we used to have to get two two mates out with my dad, so it'd be three men, mm-hmm. and it would take them the whole day to kill and butcher up a whole beast. And then you'd have wow. to have we had two big freezers in the laundry, and they were just chock a block full of frozen beef, and we just live off that for the rest of the year. And, and you know, uh, part of the reason I wanted to get you on was because when you tell me stories like this. And you've told me these stories like face to face. I was just completely caught off guard because as someone who's grown up in the suburbs, I am just not used to this. And I just have no idea. If you told me like, okay, cut up this cow, I would be completely useless. So it is very (laughs) interesting to hear it from your side. But to the other question, why did your parents choose to go more rural compared to coming to the metropolitan areas do they prefer the outside do they prefer the isolation i guess they do yeah i think it definitely takes a certain type of person to live on the land you've got to i guess like the peace and quiet like my mum i've been in sydney seven years i think she's come to visit me twice and they've been for medical reasons Mm -hmm. she tries to stay out of sydney 
as much as she can. Like she just can't handle the traffic, the noise, all the people, all the shops. Like it's just too much for her. She gets too overwhelmed. You know what this means? One day we have to find like a teleporting machine and we have to teleport her in the middle of Shibuya for like 10 oh minutes. Oh my God, she did have a heart attack. <laughs> Legitimately, I've had this discussion with like friends. What would happen if you like teleported a Viking to the middle of Shibuya? Like a 13th century <laughs> oh. Viking. <laughs> oh, that would be very interesting to watch. <laughs> she keeps saying she wants to come visit me in Tokyo when I eventually go over there. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, mom, I don't think you'll handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom, if you, if, if you can't do Sydney, you're really going to find Tokyo bizarre. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. But yeah, they're both very, like my dad moved over from Austria when he was seven. Mm-hmm. And his parents bought a farm in Baraba, which is actually kind of close to Binga and Delangra, which, by the way, I found out they are Aboriginal names. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Bingra is Indigenous for creek or shallow crossing. Mm-hmm. Delangra, actually, no, Delangra isn't an Aboriginal or Indigenous name by the looks of it. But yeah, Bingra, mean, Bingra means uh, creek or shallow crossing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so he always grew up on the farm. Like from seven years old, he went straight from Austria to a farm on in the middle of nowhere near Barabar and got raised there. So he's just always been a country guy and he got into rodeo. So that's how he made a living when he was um, younger, like a young man. He would go Wait, explain what rodeo is for people like me who don't uh, know this terminology. Anyone, anyone listening, you need to go to a rodeo once in your life. It is just a whole different experience. Basically, it's a whole bunch of people that go for entertainment to go watch people ride wild bulls and wild horses. Oh, okay. So, That's called a rodeo. Yeah. Yeah, it's called a rodeo. Yeah. So you pull up a seat, grab a beer and have a laugh watching guys get bucked off by big bulls. <laughs> it's actually it's actually quite fun, believe it or not. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, so dangerous. My dad actually got injured so many times and mum and him used to fight about it all the time that he had to give up bull riding if they wanted to have a family because it was just too dangerous. Yeah, and you see it all the time. Like, I don't think you can watch one rodeo without seeing some kind of crazy accident. Like, the last rodeo I went to, the guy came off the side, but his hand got stuck in, like, the saddle on top of the bull. Oh, my gosh. And then the bull went and banged him into the side of the rails and he couldn't, they couldn't get him free. Like people were running all from all different directions, trying to grab him off the bull and the bull was trying to attack everyone and was banging him into the side of the fences. It was just crazy. This is mental. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a mental sport. Yeah. But dad did that for years until he gave it up. So, you know, he could have a family. Crazy. Yeah. Like how do they get the bulls so excited? Do they wave red in front of them? Is that just a internet story I've heard online? Yeah, it's just an internet story. I think there's a certain breed of bull, like those ones they use over in Mexico and stuff that are mm-hmm. actually triggered by the color red. But mm-hmm. generally, like normal bulls that were used for beef and stuff, like they don't really give a shit about colors. But yeah, they, they breed them. Like, because we we have bulls, like every, like on our beef cattle farm, we had about six to eight bulls of our own. And we would like choose the ones that had a very placid nature because we didn't want them to turn on us later. Of course, they do get angry. You can never control an animal. They're unpredictable. But, yeah, there's bulls out there that have personalities. Like they're just naturally angry and they're naturally feisty and aggressive. So they they take those ones and then breed them. So they breed 
more angry bulls <laughs> and they use the angriest bulls in the rodeos. So, yeah, and the bulls get famous. Like there's there's bloody bulls out there that have movies made about them Wait, because they're movies. so famous. Movies. There's a movie, yeah, I think it's called Nine Seconds, the movie. It's a great movie. It's a bit of a love story, but it's basically about this one man that, that tries to ride bull. this. No, <laughs> my God, wouldn't that be an interesting story? There's this one bull that no one can ride for nine seconds. The bull is famous because no one can stay on him for nine seconds. And that's the time you're supposed to stay on like that. That's the win. That's how you win, I guess. You stay on the bull for nine seconds. Mm-hmm. Is it nine seconds or eight seconds? Now I'm doubting myself. But anyway. Yeah, so that bull's famous for no one being able to ride him. And the whole movie's about this guy just wanting to finish a ride on that bull. That's his whole <laughs> life goal. And his That's... girlfriend's like, no, but like, <laughs> I want to have kids with you. Love me. Stop doing it. And he's like, no, I've got to ride this bull. Get I out need, of the way. I need to ride this bull. I just need <laughs> to sit on this animal. So, so what happens if, for example, let's just say hypothetically, in a hypothetical world, two people sit on this bull for nine seconds and they both win. Does that mean they raise it to who can sit on it for 10 seconds and then 11 seconds and then 20 seconds? Does that ever happen? No, I think they, I, I think they're rated on how well they ride. You know, okay. like with the bull, like the, you see the guys, the guys rev the bull up. Like they're not just trying to stay on the bull. They're like spurring it in the stomach, trying to make it more angry. So it does crazier things. Cause if you can stay on and pull off like really crazy maneuvers, you know, if the bull's doing like donuts a hundred miles an hour and you manage to stay on that, you get more points than for someone who stays on a bull that just runs in a straight line. Alicia, I just want to say this is a crazy sport and I, <laughs> I, I am just fascinated and also somewhat scared of attending a rodeo. <laughs> Yeah, I just Googled it. It's called Eight Seconds. I was wrong. It's not Nine Seconds, Eight Seconds. But it's it's a crazy sport, I agree. But it's also something that is just so fun to watch for some reason. I guess it's thrilling. It's mm-hmm. like watching like one of those thrilling TV shows that have you on the edge of your seat, but mm-hmm. you're watching it right in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so exciting. And last question before I move on to, otherwise this will turn into, you know, an interview about, about bulls. But... <laughs> Just one last question on this before I move uh, away from this. Do people or can people get a living from this? So can they actually support a family? I'm assuming because it's so dangerous, the amount of time you can actually be a professional or a a well-known bull rider is very short, just like sport, right? Like athletes peak after three, four years and then they can't really sustain themselves physically or yeah, themselves, himself, herself physically for that period of time so with bull riding is it a very short career yeah yeah it's it's basically the same as any kind of you know higher athlete sport you know you've got your kind of window where you can reach the top and even if you do make the top and make you know a lot of money from it it only lasts that couple years Mm. it is it takes a toll on the body as well so people don't stay in it for very long like even my dad like he he was pretty he was pretty good he won a lot but he still had to have a job on the side. It was just kind of his little hobby, his sport that he did on the weekends kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just riding some bulls on the weekend. Yeah, Saturday just casually. Night. Yeah, just, just ride some bulls. What so, do you do this weekend? Just ride some bulls. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned, I think in this interview, if not, you've actually mentioned it to me, you then moved to Sydney and you've been here for seven years, I think. So yeah, that's great. So what prompted you to do that? Because... If you were living in the rural areas, and I actually remember a story you told me, you 
I think you parked your car in Westfield or, or a shopping center and you completely <laughs> lost your way because you were just not used to such, I guess, large parking spaces and I guess so many cars. So what drove you to move to Sydney and what are some interesting stories about moving to somewhere completely different? Okay, yeah. For me, originally, it was just curiosity. I always thought I was just going to be a farm girl. I loved my horses. I loved nature. And I didn't know any different, I guess. Like growing up in a small country town, they're very, I don't know if you've heard the saying like small town mentality or small town mindset. They're just very, yeah. And, and it's and it's true. Like if you meet my mom or my dad or my sister, you'll go, oh, okay, I see what you mean. It's It's not that they're bad people. It's just that they've been closed off from the rest of the world. And I've definitely seen myself grow in the last seven years more than I grew in the whole 18 years I spent there. Do you think there's a sort of peace and there's a sort of calmness with not having so much stimulation and not having so much input? Definitely. I feel like people out in the country find happiness a lot easier. I guess like for them to be happy or content with their life, all they want is a family, some horses, some dogs, and to watch the sunset over their fields, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's an easy way to become happy. Whereas when you start, you know, when you come to the city and start having all these different things to learn about and stimulate you and stuff, it's like, you're always kind of fighting to try to find that happiness. There's always something new to overcome or, which is exciting. And I, I've really learned to enjoy that, but it's not for everyone. Like my sister came here for two and a half years and hated it. She hated every minute of it. And now she's back in the country. Why did she live here for two and a half years if she was so against it? I guess she just wanted to stay with me, you know, like she wanted to keep family close. And at the Mm. time, we were the only parts of the family that were close. Like mum had kind of disowned us and dad had disowned us. So it was was me in the city or the country by yourself. Mm -hmm. And she's gone home now because mum's partner passed away. So now Mm -hmm. mum's like, oh, I want my daughter's back. So yeah, yeah, everything's gone back home. Yeah, everything's Mm. good. Everything kind of sorted out and landed in place where it was supposed to be but yeah she couldn't handle the hustle and bustle you know all the different people and all the all the cars and the traffic and all the noise and everything so far away I mean it is in the country as well but I guess you don't need to go places in the country Mm -hmm. whereas in the city it's like you know when you need something it is a bit of a trek gotcha gotcha and so what are some other stories you have of arriving in the city and just being caught off guard uh, well, the Westfield one's always a classic. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, in the in small country towns, it's just two, two-way two streets. You know, there's no multiple lanes or merging lanes or traffic lights. It's just two-way streets, roundabouts, giveaway signs, that's it. You know, like it's it's very simple. You park your cars, one, one, one main street, you know, there's no shopping centres. All the shops are just, you know, next to each other along the street. You can't lose your car. It's not possible. You know, mm-hmm. you can park mm-hmm. it, walk to the other end of the street and still see where your car is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when I first came here, I mean, I was amazed by shopping centers for one. I was like, there's shops inside <laughs> of shops. <laughs> I guess I guess that's weird. Yeah, that is a weird concept. Shops inside of shops. <laughs> yeah, like I can just go to one big shop and everything I need is within that one shop, you know, mm-hmm. whereas in the country, it's like, okay, I'll go to this shop then I've got to drive down to this shop and I go drive over to that shop. Yeah, so that was a crazy concept to me at first. But yeah, I remember parking my car at Westfield. I was very overwhelmed for one because there was just so many car spots and so many cars. I was like, oh my God. 
But I, I parked the car. I didn't even think about it because it's something that never enters your brain in, in a small country town. You don't go, okay, let me take notes of where I parked my car so I don't forget later. You know, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. And I walked into the shop. So I had my phone, looked around like, wow. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> shit, where's my car? And, and how long did it take you to find it? I had to call security. Oh, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I was like, look, so I lost my car. And they're like, oh, Oh, okay. what's your number plate it's not stolen it's still here and I was like can you tell me how to get to it <laughs> but yeah I think another thing that was really funny was my vocabulary I guess like the way I spoke I even though you can't really hear it in my voice now I used to be very bogan I guess mm-hmm. I had a very like country western kind of slang and people used to laugh at the way I said things all the time but the biggest one were the sayings I had just things like when I'm going to bed, I'd just casually say, I'm just going to hit the hay. Yeah. You know, and everyone's like, we don't say that, Alicia. We don't go sleep in hay. What the fuck? And another good one was I'm going to town because Uh we lived on a farm. So when you needed to go to the shops, you had to physically go into the town. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really, that concept never kind of left. Like I still say it to this day. I'll, mm-hmm. you know, I literally live like 10 minutes from Westfield in the middle of Parramatta and I'll be like, I'm just going into town. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're fucking in town, Alicia. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're in the What summer, do you mean? So. Yeah. <laughs> and the shops opening and closing, the times they open and close, that was another funny one. I remember my cousin going, it was like Sunday and she was like, let's pop down to the shops. And I said, to her, but it's a Sunday. She goes, and I was like, the yeah. shops will be closed. Uh-huh. She's like, no, Alicia, shops are open <laughs> all the time here. <laughs> okay. And actually talking about slang, do you notice, and, and I'll add a story to the end of this, but do you notice that the people in cities, do they walk differently to people in rural areas or do they, I guess, have different mannerisms? And I bring this up because... There was this video I was watching and it was about a quite a famous American uh, American who had Indian ancestry. And then when he went back to Mumbai, he, even though he looked Indian physically, people could tell that he was not from the area, just from the way he walked. So I guess when you moved over to Sydney or when you return back to the rural areas, do you notice a difference in how people walk or in how people hold themselves and speak? Um, that's a really interesting question. I'm thinking about it. Not really, but that could be hard for me to notice, I guess, because I live between the both, both the worlds now. But mm-hmm. I guess a little bit in the way they speak in just terms of slang, you know, and accents. I find like in the countryside, you do get a lot more of that very thick Australian accent, whereas Mm -hmm. in the city, it's a bit more mild. You know, you can't pick up on the accent as much. So, like, going back to the countryside, it's like listening to one of those Australian movies and they've all got, Mm -hmm. like, those thick-ass Australian accents. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of it. Like, they don't really walk different. I mean, you can tell a person who rides horses from a mile away because they walk, like, really wide. Their legs are wide apart. (laughs) Really? When I met you, I didn't didn't notice that. I guess it's just because I don't ride that often anymore. Okay. So if you did, if you rode every day, you're like, you would have a, I guess, a wider walking stance. Yeah. A widest walking stance. Exactly. It's not that noticeable if you don't know what to look for, but a hundred percent, like all my girlfriends that ride and even me, like we do have a slightly wider leg set, I guess, than a normal person. Cause you know, you've got to sit on a horse all the time. I mean, it makes sense, but it, 
like I said, as someone growing up in metropolitan Sydney, just I have no friends who ride horses. I have no friends who were like into saddle club. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is all new to me. It's very interesting, I guess, like especially I think something I did want to touch on a little bit is the multiculturalism in Sydney compared to like the monoculturalism in Inverell or, you know, Binger and Delunger and all those small towns. Mm-hmm. It's just very, it was very eye-opening coming here and meeting so many different people from so many different places that had all these amazing stories and customs and, you know, religions and things. And in a small country town, not only do you not, get exposure to these different people we don't really learn about it either like no one sits you down and goes oh by the way australia is a multicultural country and there's people from all over the world and this is what you should expect and you know you shouldn't you know judge or like they don't teach you about you know cultural acceptance and stuff like that which i find is a downfall for a lot of country people when they do come to the city like my sister had a lot of trouble adapting i obviously was here a lot longer than her and i loved all the different cultures and I embraced it. I thought it was amazing. She came here and we had so many fights in the first year because she would say something, not thinking it was inappropriate at all. To her, it wasn't inappropriate. And it would really upset me. I go, you can't say that and you shouldn't be thinking like that. So yeah, I think it is definitely very eye-opening for me to see the difference between the city and the country, just not even in terms of people living there. It's just the education, you know, not opening our eyes to the fact that Australia is a multicultural place and not teaching us how to handle that. Mm. And I think you've mentioned education and that's actually something I want to touch on later on. But just going back to what you said, I think part of the reason you may not have been taught this about the multiculturalism of Australia or the fact that there are different cultures in the world is because if you grow up in a small country town, you, you even if you were taught that, you were not exposed to it anyway. So it's almost like redundant information unless you actually leave that environment. And secondly, I just want to say, I think if you are, I guess, sheltered from different cultures and and just, I guess, if you grow up in a, an area where there is a single dominant culture, when you are exposed to different cultures, I guess it can either be frightening or really interesting. And it's interesting to see how you moved and how your sister moved in comparison. And I think these two responses are the norm. Like if you are quite sheltered in terms of cultures and then you see all this other stuff, like I can understand why your sister just out of reaction would be like, whoa, that's strange. I don't want any part of that. But I also commend you for having that interest. Yeah, it, I, I agree. It's definitely, you can go either way when you're sheltered like I was, you know, in this in this small country town. It's you're either overwhelmed by it and don't know how to react to it and your immediate reaction is to kind of recite inside yourself and just go, get away from it or you embrace it and you go, wow, this is so interesting, teach me more. So, yeah, but it's interesting to think my sister and I grew up in the exact same environment and we're polar opposites in that sense. And you said that you were twins, right, as well? Yes, correct. Identical twins? Identical, yeah. <laughs> wow. So that that breaks this idea, like you know, identical twins, same area. You have to be the same. But yeah, it seems like both of you have reacted very differently to different stimuluses. Can we touch upon something you just mentioned, which was education? Now, this is yeah. something that you've said a few times to me, and you've actually mentioned on the podcast as well, where you felt like the education you received in your town wasn't adequate or wasn't enough to prepare you for. 
I guess, the rest of the world or coming to Sydney. And something else that you've mentioned before was you actually don't know that much about World War One and World War Two just because of the the system that you were put through. So can you just go into a little more about that? Like what is the education system like in the rural areas and what are some things that you felt like you didn't learn that you really wish you did? And in comparison, what are some things that you learned which you think are also very important that maybe we don't learn? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually, being someone who's studying education and doing my master's in teaching at the moment, it's something I'm really passionate about. At first, you know, I didn't know any different, I guess. Like I didn't know much about education. So I got the education I was given and didn't really care. It wasn't until I came to Sydney and I started going to university where I just went, wow, my education did not prepare me for this at all. And now studying all these different strategies and techniques and looking at all these theories and stuff about being a teacher in education, all I can do is sit back and think about how poor mine was. Not that it's like a bad thing or I blame anyone, but it's definitely an area I think Australia needs to concentrate a little bit more on is the education in the rural areas. I feel like a lot of the teachers that go out that way, the leftovers, the crumbs that didn't make the high-end private schools in, you know, Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. So they take the um, incentive, the grant that they get given to go teach in rural areas and just head out that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely like they, not only were the subjects a lot more limited in terms of electives, like we only had one language and it was Italian and that was our only choice. We didn't get to choose Chinese or Japanese or Spanish. You know, there wasn't, wasn't different opportunities to learn different languages. There also wasn't uh, I can't think off the top of my head, but I've heard some strange electives you guys have had in the city where I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have that choice. Uh-huh. <laughs> but can you give me an example of a situation in the classroom or just any, yeah, an example or a subject where you felt like you just didn't learn that much? So was there a subject where you basically had no teacher or, or I don't know, like what's the worst situation, the worst example you can give of the rural education system? I think the worst, oh, it's hard off the top of my head, but the worst example, I guess, is teaching out of the textbook. And mm-hmm. it happened in every classroom. Uh, the worst one I can think of is my agricultural class. There was a time, I think when I was in year nine, where the agriculture teacher just up and left. She's walked out of the class and went, I'm fucking done. Oh, and, really? That's it? Yeah. That's it. That was Good it. Good night, She's, everyone. <laughs> see you later and she never came back so we got a fill-in teacher that was I don't know I think she was the history teacher or something but she knew nothing about agriculture at all (laughs) she was just filling in and she was there for the rest of my schooling and literally she would just sit at the classroom and just go read this page in the uh, textbook and answer the pages on the end and then do whatever you want and she'd just sit there and you know look on her phone or read a book or something yeah, so like there was none of those, I guess, like constructivist kind of views where you're, mm-hmm. you know, putting significance into the classroom or offering different ways to learn different things to accommodate for everyone's different learning abilities. Mm-hmm. There was no scaffolding or a- anything like that. And I remember there even being a separate class for like the special students. Even the Aboriginal students, actually, the Indigenous students had a separate class as well. So they kind of segregated everyone. They just went, oh, wow, you're not as smart as everyone else. You can go over here. Oh, wow, you're you're different from everyone else. You can go over here. 
Mm. They kept us all separate. You know, they didn't teach us about being inclusive or accepting and, yeah, I guess they didn't teach us self-regulation or anything like that. I think part of the reason that there are these failings in the education system, but especially the rural system, is there isn't that much of a supply for teachers. And I think that makes it harder to fire or get rid of teachers because there isn't that constant stream. And this is just something that comes to my head. So let's just see what you think. But because it's so far away from the city and maybe a lot of institutions, like for example, the education uh, New South Wales department is actually in Parramatta and it's probably very close to where you live. So because it's just so far away, there isn't that oversight. And the last thing is, and let me know if this is correct. I'm assuming that a lot of people don't actually end up in like corporate or like, I guess, educational or professional jobs. They probably end up in more manual physical labor jobs in in the countryside. So because of that, there probably isn't much of a reason to focus so much on education. What do you think about that? You bring up a really good point. Like a lot of the students don't go on to do big things, which I think is personally sad. Like I I think it's, it's very, what's the word for it? Like they stay in a cycle, you know, like they're, they're born from a farming family. They go to school. They don't need to be high achievers because they don't need a HSC because they're just going to work on dad's farm Mm -hmm. until he dies. And then they're going to take over it, you know? And that was the plan for me. You know, dad always just wanted me to take over the farm. Uh, and I had big dreams to go to university and stuff, and he couldn't understand why. Um, so can I ask, wh- where did you get these big dreams? Because if you're talking about this idea of being sheltered, and I remember you saying that you actually didn't have access to a lot of technology or even the internet, like where did this idea of let me go and study abroad or let me go and study in the city actually come from? So it was a slow process. I originally, I just wanted to get away from home because at 18, mum and dad got divorced uh, and it was, I was in an uncomfortable situation. You know, I wasn't in contact with dad, but I was living with mum, but mum was busy with other relationships that I didn't approve of. So I just wanted to get out of home. And the only way out I could see was going to uni. So I first went to Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga, and I did stick to that rural area as well as a rural degree. So I was actually doing a Bachelor of Equine Science. Mm-hmm. So I was, which basically just once you graduate that is three years, you just become like a manager at a horse stud or a track rider for like horse racing and stuff. So I was sticking definitely to that horse industry farm kind of area. But in that 12 months, I met so many people and a lot of them actually came from Sydney. They will I mean, not the best students because they were there purely because they didn't get high enough ATARs to attend Sydney universities. Mm-hmm. But it really intrigued me. I was meeting all these people and they they hadn't been to the countryside before. So they're coming from Sydney and going to the countryside. And hearing their story of Sydney just really made me interested. So I actually went for a holiday on one of my uni breaks. Instead of going back to see mum in the, in the countryside, I went with one of my friends to Sydney and they lived in Westride. And that was crazy. Like they took me out for sushi and believe it or not, I didn't know what sushi was. Uh-huh. That's how sheltered <laughs> well, how, I was. Well, how could you, right? Like if you lived out eight, nine hours, like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't know it. Yeah. There's no sushi in my small town. And 
I guess like I didn't watch enough. Like I was, I was very closed off to technology. Dad was very anti-technology. I don't think everyone was like this, but it is quite common, I think, for people in the country to be more inclined, like, you know, get outside, work hard, don't sit on your ass and play on the computer. And that was exactly my dad's mentality. Every time he saw me pick up the phone or pick up my iPod or anything like that, he'd, be, he'd take it off me and go, get outside, do some work. And I think that's a very, a very country mindset. Yeah, but no, yeah this idea that, that was... like, sorry, this idea that physical labor equals work and that's the only expression of work. Yeah, I, I think it is quite a country mindset. But sorry, go, go on. Yeah. Continue what you're saying. But it's also good though, because I learned how to work really hard. And I get mm. that comment in every job I've had in Sydney is just, mm. wow, you work really hard. And I'm like, yeah, but like I used to bloody dig trenches for piping for dams and oh I don't know, put cattle in headlocks in the crush so I could, you know, <laughs> tag their ears. I was like, yeah. I've done I've done harder work than this. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't exposed to things like sushi, you know, because like you sometimes you'd see it on a movie or, you know, on a TV series or I don't know, read it on an online forum. But because I didn't have that access, I didn't have access to sushi, just little Mm -hmm. things like that. So, yeah, my friend was like, oh, do you want some sushi? And I was like, what sushi? And they just nearly (laughs) fell over. They're like, are you serious? (laughs) And they actually gave me, it was sashimi, the salmon sashimi, so raw salmon. Yeah. And I nearly threw up. I was like, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I was so skeptical about it being raw because we don't do raw. Uh uh (laughs) It's like... I was like, no way am I eating that. But I, I sucked it up and I ate it. And I was like, ew, that's disgusting. And now I eat it like every week. So- okay. So so when when did that taste bud actually change? I guess like the more international food I tried and I started just kind of going, I'm going to give that a second go. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a third go. And I'm like, I actually kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But that's where it started, my curiosity, I guess, you know, and after that first, after that visit, I went back to uni, I finished my first year and I went, I don't think I want to do this. I think, Mm. I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. I think I want bigger things. And I up and left to go to Sydney and my mum was so skeptical. She was like, where has this come from? Like, why are you all of a sudden moving to Sydney? Like, are Mm -hmm. you sure? Are you sure? She put so much doubt in my head and I went, no, I'm going, I'm going. And I stuck to my guts and I went for it. And yeah, I've been here ever since. Well, honestly, I think I really respect that that will and that desire to actually pursue something, even though there's a lot of doubt. And I don't necessarily blame your mom. Like if you grew up in a certain environment and she expects certain things from you, like if you just did a 180, yeah, I guess it would be somewhat scary, somewhat intimidating. But I think for you to pursue that one thing, even if you're not 100% sure or you don't know how it will turn out and there are people whispering in your ear, I think that's really, really awesome and that you were able to persist and persevere. I think, honestly, that's that means... I, I think that shows a lot. And um, just actually talking about traits and personality, did you always notice from a young age in comparison to your twin sister that you were maybe more inquisitive and more curious than her? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just little things like horses. Like we use horses as a tool on the farm. Mm -hmm. They weren't something we did for fun or for a hobby. The horses were purely there to saddle up and use them to chase the cattle when we had to muscle them into the yards for weaning or for drenching or something like that. So they were just a tool. But although they were just a tool, I couldn't help but get more curious about it. How do these animals work? How do their minds function? 
you know, I started reading books on natural horsemanship and just trying out different training methods of these horses. And mum kind of, and I would do it before school, like the school bus pitches up at 6.30, uh, 7, 7.30, yeah, 7.30 in the morning. So I'd be getting up at like 5 a.m. to go work the horses before getting ready for school and off I go. So, yeah, mum kind of watched and saw that I was taking this interest and I was being inquisitive or I'm curious about how these horses work and trying different things. And she booked me into a few horsemanship clinics. And, yeah, I've never looked back. I, you know, now train and break in horses and stuff. But my sister, it never happened. You know, like she, she the horses were there. You know, she had all the time in the world and she watched me do it and she never kind of jumped on board and got curious. So, yeah, I guess like just little things like that. You know, she was quite content to just stick to what she knew, whereas I was always kind of searching for new things to try. And that probably explains the divergent approaches when you finally came to Sydney and when she came to Sydney. And this is not this is neither an insult nor a compliment, but that probably explains why you were more receptive and she was less receptive because of this personality yeah. trait. So, yeah, can moving on to another topic about the the rural and farm life. So, I've got two questions. Very quickly, can you tell me what a typical farm day was? Like the routine, what time you wake up, what time you sleep? And secondly, you mentioned this when I met you and then you were speaking about how you saw some acts of cruelty on the farm and that purely came from just necessity. Like, I think you were talking about castration. I wasn't, I'm not sure if that's the topic, but you, yeah, like it was quite cruel, but there was yeah. no other way because I guess that's just the reality of life. So yeah, firstly, what's a typical farm day like? And secondly, what were some acts of cruelty that you just needed to do or you saw when yeah. you lived in the rural areas? Yep. Yep. So as far as a typical farm day goes, I'll tell you from two perspectives. As a, a student going to high school, from that perspective, it was, you know, getting up early. There was a lot of animals to feed. A lot of farmers, they don't just have, oh, yeah, beef cattle, that's it. You know, they always have horses to work the cattle with. They'll also have dogs to help work the cattle or um, herd up the sheep, something like that. And then chooks because we eat our own free-range eggs, ducks because why not? They fit with the chooks. <laughs> There's just so many different animals. So a typical day would be getting up early in the morning to work the horses, feed and water all the animals, you know, get ready for school, off you go. In terms of after-school activities, they didn't exist because there was one bus that picked you up and took you back to the farm. It was one hour on the bus. There's mm. no other bus and mum is not going to drive one hour into town to pick you up because you missed the bus. Mm-hmm. So that was it. There was no options to stay after school to hang out with your friends or go to the movies. It was you, the, the one bus home and that was it. But you also had responsibilities. You know, you had to come home because the animals had to be fed and exercised and, you know, there was no way out of that. You can't just be like, mum, can you feed my, you know, 20 ducks? You, you, you had to go do it yourself. So in a way it was really good at talking taught me a lot of responsibility but yeah so that's from a student perspective can i ask about the the bus ride so yeah does that mean because you're on the bus for so long and you're seeing i guess the same faces did you develop a good rapport with those people that you constantly saw what was the relationship like amongst i guess your peers 
yeah, you knew everyone on the bus. You know, everyone knew everyone. It was this whole, I don't know, social dynamic happening. The bus driver, you knew him so well. Like we'd buy him gifts every Christmas That's and thank sweet. him for driving us, you know, each year and keeping us safe and stuff. And yeah, like you, you learn where everyone lives, I guess. And you're like, it was, it's kind of funny. You'll have your, your little clicks and that sort of stuff. So, you know, there was one boy that was a little bit weird. So we'd know when his stop was coming up and we'd all be like, oh, quick, everyone, quick, sit next to me so he doesn't sit next to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, so and there used to be like a fight over the back seat. Like, you know, you know you can't sit there. That's that's the back seat. That's where, you know, blah, blah sits. And uh-huh. he gets on in Delungra. So like you'd stop at Delungra and you'd all move off the back seat because, you know, that's his seat. Uh-huh. But, yeah, you, we, we all become really close. Like, you, you know, you'd sit there with your iPods and share your earphones and listen to songs together. But, like, we all went to different schools. There's oh, only three different okay. schools. But yeah, you'd, you know, you'd all get off at a different school and then, yeah, get together again on the bus trip on the way home and talk about your days. It was actually Mm. quite a nice relationship with everyone on the bus. Yeah. And that's something I think about the rule that, and I'm not sure if this is just a fantasy or if this is just a stereotype that's been put in my head, but I think because there isn't so much stimulation and because there's less people, you probably invest more into your relationships because of that. And you were mentioning how when you came to Sydney, you were surprised that there was many shops inside a bigger shop. But I was just thinking like, what would that be like in the rural areas? You'd probably have like a butcher, you'd probably have a vet. And those people working those positions probably worked in those positions for ages, if not life. And that's probably this sense of professionalism or this sense of relationship that you might not get in the city. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think... um you're kind of right and wrong in a way like because it's a, such a small town everyone knows everyone and you do have those just you know one-off shops and the same people have worked there you do make these connections you know like it's not oh I've my car needs a service I better go to the mechanic it's oh I got to drop my car into Joe's mm-hmm. you know like you you know them personally and everyone's very friendly you know you can't walk down the street without someone going oh hey how have you been it's good to see you like mm-hmm. And even the people you don't know, it's always a, a nod and a how you going as you mm-hmm. walk past. Whereas in the city, it's much more like I can go to the shops and not know anyone for the entirety of my shopping experience. And no one looks me in the eye and smiles and gives me a, how you doing today? And even like the shop assistants, you know, in the country, they're on for a, you know, a bit of a chin wag, you know, how you doing? How's your day? But mm-hmm. here it's just like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Yep. Small cap. Okay, good. And, and um, do, you, do you like that? Do you prefer that? Like, what, what are your feelings towards that? I do prefer the friendliness of the small country towns. I do think some people could take a page out of that that book, you know, and put a smile on your face and ask how someone's day going. It just makes people's days. But the downfall of that, of, you know, everyone knowing everyone, everyone being friendly, is that there is a lot of, I guess, backstabbing, rumours. You know, you do, you make one slip up and the whole town knows. And, you know, obviously being a teenager going through school, everyone makes little mistakes or upsets someone or steps on someone's toes and, you know, and then all of a sudden the whole town thinks something bad of you. So, it, you know, it's it's happened with my mum recently, you know, of her, her partner passing away and there's been a few, you know, incidents that have happened and now she feels like she needs to leave because it doesn't matter where she goes, everyone's looking at her. Okay, so there's this, there's almost this stigma or whether it's positive or negative stigma is quite a negative word, but there's a sort of reputation that builds because it is so enclosed. And and I'm not sure if this is correct, but 
because you're always around the same people, like, I guess gossip is a way to pass time. Yeah, it would be definitely. Like, I notice that now when I go home to see my mum, like, she just wants to talk all day about who's who and who's done what and where they are and what they're doing. And I'm not, I, I'm not a big gossiper myself. So I get very like, mum, why is that your business? And she's like, I'm just saying. And I'm like, well, I don't care. You shouldn't be talking about people. Mm. But yeah, I guess like in the country, it's a way to pass time. So people like to know what everyone's business is and what they're doing because there's nothing really else to talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, talking about the nothing else to talk about, uh, this is something that we spoke about last time, which is in the rural areas. And correct me, you know, I've kind of forgotten your answer, but there is this reputation of like a lot of drugs in rural areas. And and part of the reason is because of boredom and a lack of stimulation. Mm. Is that, how true is that? How prevalent is that? How prevalent is addiction? And do you see Mm. it all around you? It's, this is a really interesting topic actually, because funnily enough, I didn't notice it at all during my Mm. high school years, but I think the reason for that is one, I was isolated on the farm an hour out of the town. So we were not exposed to it. I didn't hang around after school to see what was happening in in the town, you know, as well as my mum and dad raised me with really strict morals, you know, like no drugs, no alcohol, all that sort of stuff. So I wasn't aware what drugs and things were. I didn't have access to the internet that, you know, taught me these things either. So Mm. I guess I was just very innocent and oblivious to it all. And now that I've come to the city and it's kind of smacked me in the face and I've gone, holy crap, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I've gone back to the country as an adult, I see it everywhere. Uh, It is very much like everyone, not so much on the farms. On the farms, those people are more in touch with, I don't know, nature and work and that would just get in the way, I guess. Mm -hmm. They're, They're not as bored. You know, there's always something to do on the farm, always something to fix, always some animal to put back in its pen. But yeah, in the towns, in the small country towns where there's no farms, they're just living you know, in a backyard and, you know, there's no places to go out and hang out with your friends. There's like one pub that everyone goes to. They do get bored. So yeah, I think everyone that lives in the town uses drugs and there is a lot of addiction. I know a lot of people personally from my own year group in school that are just you know, like I don't want to put a label on them and say that, you know, they're no hopers or anything, but yeah, like they don't, they don't have a job. They just live off the dole and just smoke weed every day and do heavier drugs and they even grow it in the backyard. And it's just like, that's what they do for a living. They, there's nothing else to do. So that's what they do. And how much of this is because of boredom? Is there a way to cure this or is this literally, there is just no stimulation. So that's why you drink a bottle and then you kind of forget yeah I feel like that's all it is I feel like it's just there's no other stimulation there's nothing else to do for fun Mm. it's but like in saying that it is it is up to the individual you know like I found stimulation in other ways I was guess I was lucky because I had a farm and animals to play with and things like that but you know I also turned 18 and and I left I went you know I want to see what else is out there Mm. whereas I feel like majority of the you know country folk they just they stick to what they know, you know, they, they grow up in a small town and they stay in a small town and because they aren't getting any new stimulation, that's what they do, you know, to forget it all. And last question about growing up in the rural areas. And then if you have any questions for me, I'm happy to take any 
let's leave this on a more positive side because we've been talking about, I guess, comparing and juxtaposing the rural and the metropolitan areas. And obviously when you do that, it almost comes off as, if not aggressive, almost demeaning for either side. Mm. But I think both can learn a lot. And I think the city can learn a lot from the rural areas and the rural can learn Mm -hmm. a lot from the city. And I think there's no better person to ask than you. So what are some things that both sides can take from each other? That is, yeah, a fantastic question because I've been, I wanted to kind of touch on that near the end anyway because there are pros and cons to both. And I feel like in an ideal world, a mix of those would be just ideal and pure happiness. But mm-hmm. that's not sadly not how the world works. But I guess coming from someone who grew up in the rural area, I can definitely say some of the real positives of it is learning to be in touch with nature. You know, things like, I guess one of the biggest things that surprised me and still sticks with me to this day is coming to the city and experiencing the rain, you know, bad weather. It's seen as quite a negative thing here. You know, people go, oh man, this rain sucks. I can't wait till it goes. I want to go to the beach. On the farm, the rain means the grass is going to grow. So the cattle are going to be fat, which means more mm. money in the bank to feed your family. So yeah. we celebrated. When it rained, we pulled out a bottle of wine you know, and had a big meal and went, whoo, this is awesome. Mm. You know, so that was, yeah, I guess like we're more in tune with the weather, like what it means. We know how to read it. You know, like we can tell when the rain's coming about having to look at the weather forecast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more in tune with animals as well. Like the amount of people I've met here in the city that don't know how to pick up a rabbit or they don't know how to approach a dog or they can't tell when an animal's uncomfortable. You know, you just learn, you learn all these different languages that aren't necessarily languages they teach in school but mm-hmm. you know you learn how to speak horse or speak dog which sounds bizarre <laughs> but you yeah, do but it makes you sense do. and also independence you know like having having this isolation you, you learn to be content with yourself and your own company you know how to look after yourself you know like let's say hypothetically let's make it a bit more humorous there's a zombie apocalypse Mm-hmm. I would be 10 times more likely to survive than any of the city. Oh, than me. Let's I... just, you know, let's just throw yeah. names around. Than me. I would be, uh, <laughs> Alicia, I'm just, I'm letting you know, if it happens, if it happens, touch wood, I am calling you the moment it happens because <laughs> I am defenseless. I'm just letting you know all that philosophy, all the reading I did means nothing, nothing when a zombie's coming at me. <laughs> oh, yeah i i got you i know how to farm our own vegetables i know how to ride a horse if cars uh-huh. aren't around i know how to shoot a gun i got this uh, awesome awesome yep your head, head, your head honcho. I'll just, I just, I'll be the bard. So if anyone needs like singing around the fire camp, I'll do that. I'll let you do all the dirty work. <laughs> all right, that sounds good. Good deal. You can be the entertainment. <laughs> so, what, what are some things that the that the rural areas can learn from the city? They can learn a more, a bit more about open mindedness, I guess. Um, being a bit more. Uh, flexible and accepting of different people and that there are you know different ways to grow up you know I find that they're very you know they look down on city folk they're very much like oh you're a fucking city slicker are you mm-hmm. and they just look they look down on anyone who isn't them well, um, do, did you get this sort of condescension from city people to rural people as well or, or is it more prevalent in the rural areas do they look down on city 
people more than vice versa. Yeah, I think definitely the country will look down on city people more. I don't know whether it's a way of compensating for jealousy or I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely coming to the city, like no one, when I tell people I'm from the country, I get one of two reactions. They don't react. They don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Or two, they're like, that is so interesting. Tell me more. Uh But I never get, oh, yuck, you're from the country. You know, okay. whereas that's very much the reaction you get as a city slicker going to a small country town. Okay. So for example, if I was to teleport into your town and then someone said, firstly, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, you like, you like, what you don't look, you don't look like everyone else. But like, let's just say they came and approached me and I said, I'm from Sydney. I grew up there, blah, blah, blah. Would there be this, this idea of like, oh, he's weird. He's like, you know, he's looking down on me or like, would they look down on me basically? So, yeah, they would kind of look down and you'd 100% hear the word city slicker come from their mouth. But, yeah, whereas I find, like, you know, you don't get that reaction from the city people, you know, when I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, from the country, you don't get, oh, you're a country bumpkin, Mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess they could learn how to be a little bit more open-minded. You know, even we we do get a lot of, well, not a lot, I should say, we do get a few international people dribbling in and out of my hometown because there's a, an abattoirs there, like a meat works where they cut up and butcher the meat and package it. Mm-hmm. And they hire a lot of international people so they can pay them really crappy wages, which mm-hmm. I think is very shit of them to do. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, the thing is you don't see these people around. And I think that is because of the racism that exists in these small country towns. So I think they experience it once and then they go hide in their places and they just mm-hmm. go to work, go home. Mm-hmm. You don't really see them about town. And it's sad to see that, like, I saw it in school. We had a Chinese exchange student in year six and he got bullied to no ends and the teachers never stepped in. They never taught us why it was wrong to do it. Obviously, I didn't do it. But, yeah, like, I watched it so many times and just went, the teachers aren't doing anything. Like, they literally made the boy eat soap and told him it was white chocolate. (laughs) Like, they were just so mean. And that happens everywhere. Like, when I tell people in the country that I'm studying Japanese um, language and I'm going to be a teacher of languages, they just go, why would you do that? Do you think it would be seen as less strange if you said I'm learning French or I'm learning German? No, no. They just think that anything that's not physical labor is not really seen as good, I guess. Okay. So it's it's nerd work. It's It's not seen as good. It's just... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just not appreciated. Like anyone who is into that kind of, you know, like uh, the girls, I remember there was like a a handful of girls in my year that were into like drama or music or poetry, all that kind of academic stuff or arty kind of stuff. They've all left. They're like me. They left and went to university and went somewhere else and they all live in cities now. Mm -hmm. The people though that stuck to the physical labor and stuff like that, you know, they're all still there. You know, so, they're all mechanics or something now. So do you think there is a case of tall poppy syndrome in the rural areas? You might have to <laughs> explain, what ex- explain what that means. <laughs> okay, so tall poppy. Okay, so talk about slang. This is a slang that I guess is somewhat common or more common in the city, potentially. So tall poppy syndrome is this idea of... Actually, how do you actually explain it? But it's basically a slang meaning people will look down on the tallest poppies that grow. So it's basically looking down on anyone who might be more successful or might be a little strange. Mm. So, so the, it's it's almost yeah, yeah. this idea of rooting for the underdog 
taken to the extreme. Yeah, yeah. So do you think the city would, so do you think the rural areas would have this? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think that ever, you know, I mean, no one would, but I don't think anyone would o- like openly admit that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's like the way they react like that. I think it's a, it's a form of reacting to intimidation. You know, these mm-hmm. people are more academically smart than me. They're more successful than me. And that's their reaction. I mean, I don't, I don't know that for sure, of course, but that's the way I kind of see it. I just feel like like even myself, you know, coming from the country, I get intimidated, like listening to some of your previous podcasts when I was preparing for this one. And I got a little bit intimidated because you guys speak a bit nicer than me and you use better <laughs> like academic and language and things like that. And it's things that, you know, I, I'm getting there. I've definitely developed it a lot more than, you know, say my sister and my mom, mm-hmm. but I'm still not to your level yet. And sometimes that still intimidates me. But instead of reacting to that in a negative way, I just see ways of me to improve. Well, I've said this to you before, and I guess I'll repeat it on the show, on the podcast, on the show. But basically, it, I guess it makes sense because what is seen as elevated speech or what is seen as sophisticated dialogue is based off city dialogue a lot of times. And that naturally like i've just been around that situation more but that's not to denigrate or to say what you've learned isn't important and i've mentioned it before and i really think so if there was a zombie apocalypse or any sort of like natural situation i would be pretty useless and that's just a reflection of what you learned in your area and the things that you've been exposed to and i i think anyone who says like you have to speak with a certain accent or a certain slang I think that's missing the point because you would have learned so many things that I didn't and vice versa. Yeah. Look, coming from like a linguistic point of view, if I communicate something and you receive it, it's communication. doesn't matter what lingo you put in there, what slings, what accents, what dialects. If it's received the way it was meant to be received, it's communication. So, you know, really it doesn't matter. But yeah, I could definitely, you know, coming from going up on the farm and still meeting people like yourself, I can definitely relate to that little bit of intimidation sometimes, which I think may play a role in why the farmers look down on city folk. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I think a lot of times condescension is a projection and I'm not just targeting people in the rural areas i think anytime you need to go out and openly condescend and belittle someone i think a lot of times that is actual self-esteem issues with the individual yeah 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 alicia before this podcast i said if you were interested you could ask me any questions about growing up in the rural areas so i guess i'll give this opportunity to you if you have any questions for me if you want to better understand what it's like being in the metropolitan areas go ahead yeah I'm intrigued about after-school activities because mm-hmm. that didn't exist. You know, like for us in free periods or something like that, it'd be like, hey, let's go for a Macca's run because that was the only thing in our town that was mm-hmm. worthy, like worth going to. So does that mean you would walk to the McDonald's or like someone would just drive and then like how would you get that out of curiosity? Well, someone would either drive or we would walk. The walk was quite far. <laughs> so I remember always dying on the walk, but <laughs> there was nothing else to do. So we'd, uh-huh. you know, just do it gotcha. anyway. But sometimes someone would have their pee plays and their drivers there. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, that and then they built in my last year they built a big W. So then it turned into big W run. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like that was that was it. Like our free periods were Maccas or Big W. And after school was I had to go home and feed the horses. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I didn't experience, you know, like I've heard a few stories from yourself and other people about, you know, after school sports or, you know, walking to the shopping center. I don't know. Like I, I guess I just want to hear your perspective on what it was like to have freedom after school to do things. Like, do you think that developed your social skills a lot more than say my, my own? Like, obviously I don't have issues anymore, but when I first came to, to Sydney, I definitely had a lack of social skills compared to city folk. Mm -hmm. I guess. Okay. Firstly, I just want to preface this by saying anything I say obviously comes from my context. So it's hard for me to say whether like I've developed, I've been able to develop more social skills than if, I was in your situation, but to me, I guess that makes sense because uh, I did have after-school activities, whether it was learning martial arts or whether it was like going, going out, or I played a lot of basketball. I played a lot of sport, especially on the weekend. But whether it was that, or sometimes I would meet up and go to my friend's house, or there were times we would hang around the shopping centers, like, or in, in actually, I was about to say something about university, but I guess you've experienced that for yourself, but. I guess it would because through those activities, I met people that I wouldn't naturally of naturally have met, and that by definition expands your social skills and expands your social circle. So yeah, I, I think it would have. And a lot of these passions and a lot of these things that I did when I was young, like helped develop and show me like what I'm interested in and what I'm not interested in. So even now, like a mm-hmm. huge interest in sport and basketball in, in, in particular and even martial arts even though i haven't done it for a while like i am still interested in it i'm still lear- interested in learning about it uh, so yeah I, I would say so i think these these recreational activities after school expanded what i was used to and, and gave me more of an idea what was out there as well mm. I think that's the part that I mm. is, you know, it took me a very long time to find my passion for teaching and languages and cultures. Mm. And that was mainly because I wasn't exposed to it. Mm. Whereas let's say growing up in the city, you know, it still may have taken me that long, you know, who's to say it's, it's hard to tell, but, you know, being able to have the opportunity to do after school activities like martial arts or, you know, even sports like tennis and that, you know, you, you join clubs, you learn how to work as a team, you meet people that you wouldn't have met, you know, because they didn't go to the same school and stuff. Mm-hmm. You meet people that have all these different, you know, ideas or outlooks on life and from different backgrounds. And also you get to try out different things and know what works for you, what doesn't, what you like, what you don't like, which I guess helps to drive you in the direction you want to go in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas mine was just horses, cows, every day well i guess i guess you developed a passion for horses right so something did, did come of yeah. that well something did come of that definitely yeah i probably wouldn't have found that passion for horses if i'd grown up say in the city so yeah something definitely did come of that i guess actually on that something i'm jealous of you is when you go outside and if, if you live rural and you look at the sky like you basically see uh, sky full of stars and that is yes. actually something which i think is really cool and, and i actually think a lot of people in the city don't know that because they're so used to light pollution like i actually tell my students if you go rural and you go three four five six hours and you look 
at the sky at night. It's basically all the stars and you can see the Milky Way. And some of my students who have never been in that situation go like, wait, no way. And I think that's a genuine loss. Yeah, I, I will say the the scenery, like in the nature, is just gorgeous. You know, like how many times have you seen free-roaming kangaroos just jump past you on oh, the road? Never. Actually, I've seen kangaroos, but they were they were living in this enclosed area. So I'm not sure if that really counts, but I've seen a kangaroo from a distance, but not many yeah. times. Whereas I'll just be sitting on my horse, riding along the track, and then a bunch of kangaroos just hop along beside me. You know, it's gorgeous. Like I've seen emus that come back every year to have their babies. So every year I get to see newly hatched emus. Wow. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. And the starry skies, like I remember in summer, we used to park the ute out under the stars, like stars and chuck a mattress in it. And we used to all just mm. sleep under the stars at night. Yeah, it is It is beautiful. The scenery is amazing and it's the air is so much fresher and pure. But, yeah, in saying that, like that's – that also comes with having to live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Positive negatives, right? With, with everything. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's no such thing as positives all around. There's always something. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have any other questions about being in the metropolitan area? I guess um, I'm, I'm interested in technology and the internet and stuff. Like obviously you and I were only like a year apart. So we kind of grew up in the same like era. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was very much like I had an iPod, a phone, a Game Boy, and I was allowed to play The Sims 2 on the PC occasionally. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like from for you, you got a lot more access to, say, like online forums and, yeah, I don't know, like being able to just connect with people all over the world via online. Am I right in assuming that? And also what do you think you know, has benefited from that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you are correct in that assumption and a, a little incorrect. So I, the things you were mentioning, like Game Boys and stuff like that, actually I had that too. And my parents were pretty hesitant to buy me this stuff um, until I got a little older in my teenage years, but they were quite hesitant at first. So I didn't get like all these consoles like i know some of my friends a good friend of mine he basically got every single console just for some reason he got everything so yeah i i wasn't exactly like that but something i did get access to which i do think is quite game changing is the internet so that just gives you a portal into the world and that is both positive and negative because when you're 12 you probably shouldn't be on the internet but i had (laughs) access to it right and my parents didn't really know how to control it and i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing like i guess i'm just so used to it now so if there was some like damage on my psyche i'm sure there was also some positive things as as well i think having access to so many cultures and if we take a more philosophical look on this there is positives and negatives. And what I mean by that is when you have access to so many cultures, it it challenges the view that the world is a single thing. It's a singular way that you can understand the world. There's only one language or one understanding or one job that you can understand the whole world. It challenges that. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it can also make you somewhat schizophrenic in the sense that you have access to so many different cultures and so many different symbols and inputs and narratives and stories that 
your understanding of the world becomes almost like distorted because there isn't this single like a linear way and i think i think that's what happens to people in the rural areas when they come to the city it's in the rural areas it's so singular like you have physical labor there's not much stimulation but once you get access to all this technology and you can be watching korean videos and the next minute you can be watching like russian orthodox videos mm. and then the next minute you can be watching like wwe online it's just schizophrenic and i think mm. navigating that at a young age doesn't isn't always good and i've spoken yeah. to some friends who are even deeper with the internet like i had a friend and you know thank goodness that he's turned out okay now but he saw like beheading videos when he was like 13 Ooh, I didn't, yeah. and thank the Lord I did not. Yeah. But but imagine being having access to that at like eleven or twelve. Yeah, I guess in a way that is the positive of growing up in the countryside. Like mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I mean, it was partly probably my you know parents' decision as well. But yeah, we also didn't have as much access and not as much advertisement pushing it. You know, it wasn't like that peer pressure. Like, oh, I got a Wii. Why don't you have a Wii? So yeah, but like that's probably the positive that come out of it is I wasn't exposed to inappropriate kind of content that would maybe you know shift my way of thinking or Mm -hmm. scar me for life and stuff Mm -hmm. like that you know that wasn't a worry my parents had to have Mm -hmm. yeah and actually what's interesting because they released a podcast about this they are actually somewhat and i'm not sure if you know you're always happy of how you turned out because you can't imagine any other situation but they're like I'm actually glad that I saw it and I was able to cope with it and deal with it. And now I know it's out there, but I guess I've turned out okay. So it's interesting that they're like, oh, well, it happens and, you know, I've survived and, you know, I'm not a serial killer. I don't search these videos out now, but I saw it when I was 13. Yeah, I'm okay. And as someone who didn't see that stuff, I think back and I go like, thank goodness I didn't. But I guess if I did, I think I would have turned out hopefully okay in the end. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, I guess. Like, it just depends on the individual and how they uh, take in that content and mm-hmm. how they process it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. From, you know, as much as I know about you, I'd like to think you would end up the same <laughs> if you had been <laughs> exposed to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just depends. Like, you mm-hmm. know, look at my sister and I, for instance. You know, twin sisters were so different. I feel like exactly. me being exposed to it would be a whole different ball game to her being exposed to that content. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She's a lot more susceptible to that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we just spent like two minutes talking about the negatives. Like there's a lot of positives about the internet as well. Just mm. even like help forums or just getting ideas and wisdom from places which are not so isolated. Like, I guess here's a negative about the rural areas because there's almost like a singular way of living and, and it's a very mono-ethnic, monocultural, mono-everything. Like, you don't get wisdom or inputs from other areas, which might provide wisdom, which might provide insights, which might provide answers. But because you don't have that, like, I guess it, it I guess it can become stagnant quite quick. And I think the internet challenges that. So that's that's a positive. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, like I said, you know, positives, negatives for everything. And, and that was a positive uh, yeah, about the yeah. internet. Yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely pros and cons to having access to the internet. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, having access to it may have benefited me in terms of, you know, knowing what I wanted to do in the future and things like that and just learning mm-hmm. that there was more outside of my country town. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it could have gone the other way where I got exposed to 
drugs and beheadings and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and yeah. it just it would have ISIS gone videos the other way. at 13 yeah yeah it could have made stuff. me <laughs> I could have withdrawn into the country more and been like I'm not going out there in the big world that's scary exactly, <laughs> exactly. cool Alicia do you have anything else I do have a quick one if you don't mind about... no absolutely yeah let's hear it okay I'm interested in your idea on let's say people being materialistic or influenced by the media and things like that in the city compared to the countryside like I guess like you know again we grew up in the same era like what were the you know I guess I'm more interested in girls than boys because I don't really know what boys are into but you know were girls throughout school really interested in what brand of clothes they wore or the makeup they wore or how they styled their hair you know what handbags or stuff they carried was that a big thing because personally for me growing up in the countryside we weren't really raised to care about that sort of stuff you know like I was still rocking up to school at the age 17 in like you know my farm clothes with no makeup and my hair a mess Mm -hmm. and I didn't really care I didn't get exposed to makeup until I came to Sydney and girls were like oh my god Alicia your eyebrows I was like what about them (laughs) (laughs) their eyebrows So, yeah, I guess, like, I, I'm interested in, like, do you think growing up in the city, you know, like, the media and, you know, peer pressure among school col- you know, classmates and stuff has a bit more of an effect on making women, as well as possibly men, uh, more materialistic? I think so. I think, firstly, these companies are more located in the cities. So mm-hmm. just purely because of presence, I'm probably more exposed to it than you were. And at the same time, if you didn't have the internet and you didn't have access to a lot of technology, yeah, I'm sure that I would have had access to, and and I don't say that in, a, in necessarily a positive thing, but I would have been more influenced by that. But I do remember some examples of this. Now, okay, I'll also be honest, I wasn't close to many girls when I was in high school. I was actually quite socially anxious and quite nervous, actually. I say actually as if that wasn't expected, but yeah, I was quite nervous around them. And let's see, I do remember incidences of that. So when I was in year seven, year eight, and year nine, there's this type of bag called the country road bag, which was super, super popular, super popular. And I just so desperately wanted it because the thing is, and I'm sure the rural in the rural areas, there are different, there's like a hierarchy. Like if, I don't know, I'm making this up. So this is probably going to sound really stupid. But if you can ride on the horse for the longest, that might mean you're the coolest dude or the coolest girl. In the city, yeah. the the goalposts are a little different, but there are still goalposts. So whether it's yeah. having the best phone or whether it's like having the best car or I guess my friends I mentioned previously just had so much technology, like that was kind of a flex kind of like oh i really wanted that and you know what i'm showing the city sorry in the rural areas like there was your own version like the guy who could i don't know this is going to sound so dumb like round up the most cattle or the guy who was the strongest or something like that or the girl who something 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 i'm so i'm sure there was a hierarchy anyway but yeah in the city definitely it was like i can see it being more materialistic and i think that's because people in the city generally have more revenue so because of that these companies target us and they target our lifestyle more so when you watch like a toyota ad or or an ad about ford you see 
modern city slickers, people, you know, in in blazers and like these fashionable jeans and stuff like that, you rarely see like a farmer as the person driving the car. So yeah. I feel like, yeah, we are targeted more by materialism and we buy into it more. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny you mentioning like the ways to flex and I kind of, I was listening, but I was also kind of thinking, how did we flex? You know, Yeah, how did you flex? You said, they, they were, they had to be goalposts of some kind. They might have been different to you guys. Like people weren't going around going, oh, look at my new iPhone 10. So yeah, I kind of got me thinking and you know what? It was horses. See, I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't, you know, who could run the fastest, who could ride the longest. It was the type of horse you had because horses have different values depending on their bloodlines. You know, I remember this girl on the bus and she used to always flex. Like she used to rub it in and I used to get so jealous because I used to always get my dad's hand-me-down horses and they're mm-hmm. fucking crazy wild things that used to <laughs> kill me half the time. Uh-huh. But it made me a better rider. But, you know, uh-huh. like I'd rock up to these horse events and I'd be on, you know, some Mustang and and she would rock up and be like, oh, my dad just bought me this Bay Roan Acres Destiny quarter horse. Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the exact so yeah. same as like, oh, he drives a Ferrari, I drive a BMW. You know, I mm. hate this guy. Mm. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how the... um the goalposts change depending on where it is. It's yeah. But yeah, definitely. I agree with um, what you said. I never kind of thought about it like that. Like it is very targeted towards the city, you know, like all the ads and stuff. They are, they aren't farmers driving the cars. Like I think even the advertisements change. Like I remember watching like the Simpsons and stuff at night and the ads would be, you know, about what type of worming paste to use on your cattle. Oh, I've never seen that in my life. Yeah. It's ever. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the advertisements change as well you know and like the the car ads would be more like toyota you know hiluxes you know mm-hmm. and how they're good you know for the farm and you know the new brand of working dog feed to give to your working dogs so yeah like just on that those those investments are generally smaller than like i guess the city kind of bombards you with i guess more expensive stuff and i think partly this is just because people in the farms culturally just like oh i don't need that i don't need three computers why do i need the next you know the the newest edition laptop i have a laptop that works i think that's partly cultural and partly i just think the city just has more revenue more people that you can sell to so because of that companies are just more willing to target us yeah yeah it's a large range of yeah like targets but yeah it's interesting how that changes um yeah students i guess you know, like coming here and meeting all these, you know, girls particularly that would be like, oh my God, I remember when I was 13 and, you know, we'd fuss about our makeup and. Oh know. yeah. That's, that's still bizarre for me. That's I so know, strange. Like, wait, what? And I, like I walk past girls in the street still to this day and they're like 12 years old and they look like 30 because of their makeup <laughs> and what they're wearing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like 12 year olds do their makeup better than I can. It is a strange thing that happens. And yeah, even when I see girls or actually I was about to say guys, I don't think I see many guys do makeup, but when I see girls do their makeup in high school, especially if they're very young, it, yeah, it does weird me out. I'm like, wow, Mm. you're spending way too much time like on, on, on this thing. And I don't know, maybe it's because when I was 13 or 14, I literally only played like Pokemon and that's the only thing I knew. 
Oh, yeah. I remember walking Momo, uh, my dog, the other week, and it was along Parramatta River. And these it was early in the morning and these girls were on their way to school, but they met extra early to sit down on a park bench and do each other's makeup before school. Mm. Mm. And I just, for me, that was just mind-blowing. I was just like, these girls are, are learning already at such a young age how to put on like a, a facade, I guess, you know, like mm-hmm. for, for me, makeup, I mean, everyone's different. You know, people see it as an enhancement. I guess for me, sometimes it's an enhancement, yes, but more than anything, it's something to hide behind. You know, like for me, I just want to be real. I just want to be myself all the time. So I'm looking at these girls going like, you're so young. You should be out there playing sport with the boys and just being you and, you know, but instead they're fussing about what they look like and, what makeup they should put on and how they should do their hair. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, for me, it was just very, very mind boggling. I I think that's a very wholesome thought. I also think that idea comes from your context. I think the fact that you were raised in the rural areas, you probably look at that and go like, I never did that. And because of that, it it sounds strange. But, you know, I I agree with you. And I think that a lot of these young boys and young girls are probably too invested in how they look but at the same time i think and that's the reason i mentioned every society has a different goalpost like these girls doing this is basically the same as that other girl that you mentioned bragging about her horse it's the idea of like showing the rest of society whether it's through makeup or beauty or it's through horse riding or having horses this is how you flex cool yeah cool you want to wrap it up yeah, let's wrap it up. So thank you, Alicia, for you know joining us, for telling us about the rural situation and what it was like growing up in an environment that a lot of people, a lot of my listeners and me don't understand. And this went for 90 minutes, but honestly, I had so many different, so many other questions I had down. But the thing was, if I asked all of them, this would legitimately be like a three-hour conversation and my audience would be asleep at the half point. So yeah, yeah, I just want to say thank you for jumping in. And do you have any last words you want to say to the audience or me or anyone else? I guess just thank you for taking interest and the time to talk to me about this. Like it's something that I guess is really close to my heart. And a lot of people, like majority of the time, just shrug it off. You know, oh, you're from the country. Cool. And then they move straight on, you know. For me, like I've learned so much and I've grown so much as a person from making that move from the country to the city. And I've seen the best of both worlds. I've, I've seen the pros and the cons and I can see where a healthy middle would be. And it's so it, it's just been so such a pleasure, I guess, to share that with someone who's very interested in hearing it. So mm-hmm. thank you for your time and thank you to everyone who's going to listen. Yeah. And just one last thing, you know, when we met last time, you mentioned something like, oh, you know, haha, I'm from the rural. And then you made a very passing joke and it was, you know, sarcastic. So you didn't really mean it. You're like, yeah, it's quite bogan. But the thing was, I, you know, I know that I knew that was a joke, but I think in the same way that you learned a lot from the city and you've grown as a person, just being exposed to different stimulus, I and other people in in the city can also get a lot of wisdom from the rural areas. Obviously there are things that, you know, in both sides that you shouldn't learn and there are some negatives in both sides, but I think the city can learn to relax or can learn to maybe toughen up or all these other things that you would get from living in the rural areas. So when you, you know, said you were from the rural areas, like it actually made me very curious because 
that's just a lifestyle I'm not exposed to. And I think I can learn uh, a lot from it. And not only me, but I think a lot of my audience can as well. So thank you, Alicia, for jumping on. And thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Catch you later. You're welcome. Thank you. See ya. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.